great to see you this morning. Take your copy of God's Word and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we'll begin in verse 1 in just a few moments. We begin our series this morning on uh, for Easter, and I uh, want us to consider this morning the reality of the resurrection, the reality of the resurrection. It's springtime, and what more appropriate time to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, you look around at nature, and it seems to be being reborn, if you will, out of the winter, and uh, I know my grass, I made a mistake of putting fertilizer on it a couple of weeks ago, and now it has to be cut every week already. So it's, uh, it, uh, fertilizer with all the rain we've been having has uh, produced a miracle in my front yard. It's all growing. Uh, but you know, you look at the trees and the last leaves of winter have fallen off and all the new buds and the, and the flowers are growing and uh, it's springtime and it's refreshing and it's encouraging and I enjoy the springtime. Well, how appropriate that we celebrate Easter in the springtime. We celebrate our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ having died on the cross to pay for our sin and put in a tomb and uh, resurrected three days later, conquering sin and death and the grave. And, and because he did, the Bible said he's a first fruit and all of us who follow uh, will be resurrected just like him in the same kind of body. And so what a glorious, glorious truth that is. Now in our passage this morning, Paul was writing to the church at Corinth, uh, and they, they had some issues, and they were struggling. They had more than one issue, but we'll only deal with one this morning. Uh, they were struggling uh, with some false teaching. And so Paul approaches the resurrection in this part of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians from a historical perspective. He sets before them the historical veracity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which was part of the gospel, which, by the way, is an essential part of the gospel. Without the resurrection, there is no gospel. And so Paul reminded them of that in this passage. So let's look at it together. Look at the first two verses of 1 Corinthians 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, but which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now the context uh, will help you get a, a grasp of why Paul's saying these things to them. In our, in our life groups on Wednesday night, Brother Roger did a, a great job of pointing out that Greek philosophy is directly opposed to the truth of the gospel. Greek philosophy and their thinking is that there is no life after this. This life is all there is. And so if that be one's philosophy, if you if you believe that there's no accountability for this life, if you think there's no life after this one, then what does that set you free to do in this life? Do whatever you want to and engage in sin and do whatever you think is okay because there's no day of reckoning, if you will. Uh, I've known people like that. In fact, there are people like that. That, that philosophy is alive and well in the 21st century. Agnostics and atheists will, will tell you, well, no, there's no God. So you Christians, you, you believe in something that isn't true. And I, I can't help but think the shock and surprise that's going to be theirs one day when they stand in front of the God that they say don't exist. And so Paul was dealing with that with the, with the Corinthians, a Greek city, Greek philosophy, and false teachers had come into the church. And these false teachers were seeking to lead the Christians away and were teaching them, well, you know, there's no real judgment and there's no resurrection and there's no life after this one. And so they begin to cause a doubt among the Christians. And so in Paul's letter, he addressed this matter with them and he addressed the gospel and he really took them back to the foundations. He said, the gospel that I preached to you 
is the foundation of all that we are as Christians. Notice the elements of what Paul said to them. Number one, he said, I preached to you the gospel which you received. Now you think, well, that, you know, what's so important about that? The gospel's always received. Okay, the gospel is never, you won't find a lost person seeking out the gospel. You won't find a lost person who's, who's trying to invent the gospel, who is pursuing the gospel. No, 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 no. God pursues us. God's always pursued lost men and women. God's always come looking for us because as in the metaphor of sheep, we're lost and we don't even know we're lost. And so it's God who loves us and comes after us. And so Paul said, listen, this is the gospel that, that you received, not invented by men, not created by people or religious systems, but no, received. When you guys saved, you received the gospel. Why did you receive it? Because it's the gift of God to all those who will believe. It's a gift. God did it for us. Jesus hung on that cross. And it's offered to all men and women, the whole world. It's a gift that, that needs to be received. You say, well, you know, there are those who preach everyone will be saved. Well, that's not true. Those, those who are saved are those who receive the gift. And it's received by faith. And so Paul reminded these Christians, he said, look, you received this. We preached it and you received it. And you were saved by the, by the gift of God, by his, his grace. Now, what does that tell us today? If men and women around us are going to be saved, we have to take it to them because they need to receive it. And how are they going to receive it if they don't hear about it? You see, salvation comes from hearing and conviction of the Holy Spirit and then the, the belief by faith, the receiving of the gift. In Romans 10, 17, Paul said, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so we have an obligation as a church. We have a calling as a church to share the gospel. Hand out the cards, like Bill said this morning. Hand them to your neighbor. Say, my neighbor's not going to come to church. Hand them one anyway. You never know. They might wake up on Sunday morning and go, well, I got nothing to do today. I might drive over to this church. Hand them to people. Invite them to come. Talk to people. Why? Because the gospel's received. And the only way they can receive it is if we're offering it to them. If we're showing them that God's offering it to them, lost men and women are not, are, listen, lost men and women, they don't know they're lost half the time. In fact, that's why you have to start with sin. You have to understand we're all lost, and it's the gift of God. So Paul reminded these Christians, hey, you received the gospel, and that gospel includes the resurrection. You received it as a gift from God. Secondly, he said, and not only did you receive the gospel, but it is the gospel in which you stand. You see, listen, the world, the world is a master. Satan is a master at trying to knock us off the rock, isn't he? I mean, when you get saved, you're on the rock. You're on the rock of Jesus Christ, and, and it's solid ground. Jesus never moves. But the world does its best to knock us off that rock, doesn't it? It does its best to cause us to doubt. It does its best to cause us to have fear and anxiety. In fact, I, I wrote down a list of things that will cause us to, to slide off the rock and get away. And I'll give you just a few. And some of you will go, yeah, I've been there. I know about that one. How about persecution? Persecution will try to knock you off the rock. Man, persecution will cause you to be ashamed and take a step back. No, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we need to be bold and not get knocked off the rock. How about, how about heartache? You get sad, some catastrophe in life. It'll cause you to doubt. It'll cause you to reevaluate yourself and, 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 and reevaluate what you believe and your faith in Jesus Christ. How about disappointment, temptation, sinful habits? You ever have one of those things in your life you just wrestle with every day? The thing eats your lunch every day? And so you wrestle with that thing, and you struggle, and you go, Lord, you know, 
I'm saved and I've trusted Jesus and this, this weakness in my life just is always after me. You say, well, you know, strong Christians don't deal with that. And boy, I don't know what universe you're living in. <laughs> no, listen, that stuff will cause you to, that stuff will take you off the rock. It'll cause you to doubt. How about failures? You ever fail God? You ever fail God? You go, man, God, I failed you, so what's the use? You know, I failed you, so, so, so you know, yeah, I believe, but God, I failed you. How could I, how could I keep going forward? How about fear? Fear will cause you to doubt. Fear of the unknown, fear of things that are coming. Uh, you know, we just sang a song, Whom Shall I Fear? It's a good song. Fear will cause you to get off the rock. And here's the one Paul's dealing with, false teaching. False teaching. You see, when people get saved, they're babes in Christ. And, and one of the primary functions of the local church body is to teach Christians so they can be edified in the Word of God and grow in their faith. Because the more we grow in our faith, the stronger we are, and we won't get knocked off the rock. I'll give you a good example. You ever, have, you ever go to an evangelistic uh, meeting, you know, like you have an evangelist come in or, or, and have a revival? Revivals, by the way, are kind of misnomers. Revivals are not, revivals turn into evangelistic meetings instead of reviving the dead Christians that are in the church, but that's another discussion. The point is, you get some evangelist in here, and man, he's running back and forth and spitting and hollering and jumping down off the thing, you know, pounding on the pulpit and everything, and, and, and you, get this, you get this stuff going on. Uh, and, and, and then some people get saved, but you got to grow them. Then they come to Jesus, but you got to grow them. Okay? If we don't grow them, then they're just these baby Christians. And what are they susceptible to if we don't grow them? They're susceptible to getting drawn away, getting drawn off the rock. And what the evangelist will do is he'll come in here and all you save people, he'll, knock, he'll try to knock you off the rock. Just try to make sure you're saved, won't he? He'll, try, he'll say things that'll make you go, well, did I really get saved? You know, I mean, he'll, he'll say stuff that'll make you start evaluating, well, when did I get saved? What did I do? You know, and he'll, he'll make you, why is he doing that? Well, he's trying to knock you off the rock. And here's the truth. If he knocks you off the rock, you swim back and go, no, man, I believe Jesus, then you're saved. You're okay, okay? But, but listen, Paul said to those Christians, he said, look, these false teachers are going to try to, they're going to try to lead you away. But that gospel that you receive, that's where you stand, that's where your feet are planted, okay? The psalmist said this. Uh, well, it was actually Job in Job 4.4. 4, he said, your words have upheld him who was stumbling, and you have strengthened the feeble of knees. You ever stumble in your faith? You ever have trouble in your faith? Get in the Word of God. Read the Bible because the Holy Spirit will use it to confirm your heart. It'll, he'll use it to help you. Now, he said this. He said, not only are, did you receive the gospel, not only do you stand in the gospel, but notice the third thing he said, by which you are saved. Boy, now that's important one, isn't it? By which you are saved. Now, saves in two, is in two uh, tenses. In the Greek, this word's in the, in the continual tense. But let me, let me tell you, when we get saved, two things happen. The moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are in that moment saved forever. That's a final act that can never be changed because Jesus Christ paid for your sins and you can never be lost again once you're genuinely saved. But in this life, that isn't the end of it. In this life, it's a continual process of being saved. Now, not to be continually uh, saved as in the permanent forgiveness of sin, but continuation and sanctification, continuation and being conformed to the image of Christ. So being saved in this life is like this ongoing process. We're, we're, we're always, by the power of the Holy Spirit, being drawn closer to Jesus, being conformed to the image of Christ. And what Paul's saying to them is that. He's saying, you receive the gospel, you stand in it, and it is that thing in your life which continues to work in you and your salvation, that you're saved and that that can't be undone. 
and that you are, through this salvation, through this ongoing process, you're being drawn closer to Jesus. He said, don't forget that. Paul said it's faith unto faith to the Romans. We get saved by faith, and then we live every day as Christians in that same saving faith, and it grows day by day. And so he said to these Christians, listen, you, you stand in it, you receive it, you stand in it, and by it you are, are saved. I was talking to a fellow one time in school, and uh, I, was going to, I went to a school in one of, my, one of my school periods with a guy who, he was a, a devout Catholic. Friend, he was a great guy, and we had some lively doctrinal discussions, trust me. Um, but one day, and I had doubts that this man was saved, and here's why. He said to me one day, he said, salvation is a process. I said, okay, qualify that. Tell me what you mean it's a process. Because if he's talking about sanctification, yes, after you're saved, then fine. He says, well, you know, you're working your way to heaven, and every day you're getting a little more saved. I said, boy, that's wrong. I said, that's wrong. I said, the day you trusted Jesus Christ, all your sins were forgiven forever, and you never have to do that again. Jesus died one time on the cross, and he saved you one time. I said, but now your walk with Jesus takes a lifetime until the resurrection and we get our resurrection body. But see, his doctrine was a little off. And, and listen, false teaching, how do you understand false teaching? What's Paul telling these people? Know the gospel. Know the Bible. The more you know the truth, the more evident the error is, which is imperative. That's why you need to understand the Bible. And that's why we spend so much time teaching the Bible, because you need to go out there in the world. And you need to not be like these, these Christians at Corinth. And somebody comes along with false doctrine, and you hear it, and the Holy Spirit turns that little red light on your heart and goes, mm -mm, that ain't right, okay? And then you know the word, and you know why it ain't right. So Paul's reminding these Christians, don't listen to those false teachers. You know the gospel's true. And then he made this statement, which we need to talk about. Unless you believed in vain. Now, what's Paul saying? Unless you believed in vain. In other words, look, here's the gospel that you received. Here's the gospel that you stand in. Here's the gospel by which you were saved. Now, if those things are not true for you, is it possible that you believed in vain? Now, what's Paul saying there? Is he saying you can lose your salvation? Absolutely not. He's not saying that at all. What he's saying there is this. There is, there is uh, in some instances, a profession toward Christianity that's made on a whim or an emotion, and it's not, and it's not serious. I have, listen, I have personally experienced this. I have talked to people. And they said, oh, yeah, I'll pray. Man, I'm ready to pray. And they pray, and nothing changes in their life. Man, they'll come to church for a while, and they'll, they'll look, man, they look Christian-y. Is that a word? Man, they come to church, and they look Christian-y, and they talk Christian-y, and they do all the stuff that they see us doing. But after about six months, they slide out. And what happened? The pig went back to the pig pen. That's what happened. Okay, he didn't become a child. He didn't become saved. It was, a, it was made on a whim. It wasn't serious. In other words, they weren't really doing business with God when they prayed. They were just following some religious idea. You say, boy, is that a biblical doctrine? Jesus said it is. You remember in Matthew 13, Jesus told a parable of the sower and the seed. Now, I don't have time to preach that part, but you remember the, whole, the story, right? This farmer's out throwing a seed out there. And Jesus was a master of this, by the way. He's standing there teaching. So you see them farmers out there? And all the people standing around there would have went, yeah. Because he's throwing his seed out there, and they would have all related to that right away. He said, now, where's all that seed falling? Some of us falling on the path, you know, where you walk in between the fields, and it's hard and packed down, and the birds come eat, and it never does anything. Why? Because it just fell on the pathway. And, and Jesus explained, that's Satan snatching away the word, and somebody hears it, and it means nothing to them. 
Why? Because our heart's hard, and it just falls on there, and nothing happens. And by the way, the soil represents the human heart. And then he said, some of it falls on this shallow soil. It's got some rocks under it. And when the seed falls on that shallow soil, boy, it springs up in a hurry, and it looks really nice. And then when heat comes, the heat of the day, persecution, fear, trouble, all them things we were talking about, what happens to that little plant? It has no root, and it withers and dies. Then he said, some of it falls in thorny ground where the weeds are. Now, Mama used to make us work in the garden all the time. I was a master hoer. Raker, you know, man, I could, I could rake and hoe weeds and pull them. I mean, if the seeds and then weeds, the weeds would choke out the plant. You know, I don't know why God created it that way. The good plants always get choked out by the bad plants. Isn't that a picture of sin or something? I mean, isn't that something? But anyway, the, the, the weeds will choke out the good plants. And so some of the seed falls in the weeds and it doesn't grow. And then the last soil, the human heart was what? Good soil. And the seed of the gospel falls on that heart. And it takes root, and the person gets saved, and their life changes, and they become a new creation in Christ, and boom, there they go. Now they're in that whole lifelong process. Well, what Jesus, what, listen, what Paul's saying here. He said, if, if this gospel is not what you've believed and not where you stand, and it's not the thing that saved you, then you probably like that, like that stony ground. The seed fell in there, and it took root, but it wasn't real. And it died out under all these false teachings. And he said, he said, He's praying that that's not the case for them. Unless you've believed in vain. It's unfortunate in our day, in our society, that church, the gathering of the saints, <clears throat> has become more about a social event than it is about the Word of God. It's become more about a social gathering than it is about worshiping the God who saved us. And I think the danger in that is, and, I, and again, I don't, I'm not... I, I don't, I'm not condemning any other specific church. I'm just saying, when I look at society, what I see is this, is this desire to create these entities that are more man-made than God-made. And the danger in that is you get a lot of seed falling into shallow ground and into weeds, and the people aren't getting saved. And that's my fear, and that's what I believe. Now, I, I pray, I tell Sherry this sometimes, I pray, you know, I say things to her just thinking, because she's my wife, that I would never say up here about ministry and church and stuff. Not about you, relax. But, <laughs> but, but, you know, I'm talking about general church in general, about the way church has gone since I was a kid and, and what I see in, in churches and stuff. And, and some of it grieves me and it bothers me. Now, I told her, I said, I pray that when I get to heaven, God looks at me and says, man, you're slow. You should have got on, you should have got with it and, you know, and did some of this stuff but I don't think that's going to happen. I think, I, I, think, I think what Paul's saying to them, we've done today in the church a lot. We've gotten off track. And I think there are people that are preaching and teaching in church ought not be doing it because they're not, they're not teaching God's word. Again, that's between them and God. I'm just, you know, as some people say, I'm just a fruit inspector. I'm just poking the, I'm just poking the fruit, okay? I don't, I, don't, I don't know about the tree and I don't know where it came from, but, but listen, I know what the Bible says, and when I see something and it don't line up with the Bible, then there's a problem. Then that bothers me, okay? And Paul's saying that to them. Look, it's about the gospel. It's about the gospel you received. It's about the gospel you're standing on. It's about the gospel that saved you. And if your life and your faith ain't about that, then you believe in vain, okay? It was on a whim and it wasn't real. Now, 
since he mentioned the gospel, very quickly, Paul Paul's now opens it up a little bit. Look at verses 3 and 4. He actually begins to describe what that gospel is, which has to do with the resurrection. Look at verses 3 and 4. Now, Paul said this. He said, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now I'll ask you a question you don't have to answer. Is there anything ambiguous about that? Is that hard to understand? That is about as clear, I mean, that's about as straightforward and clear as you're going to get the gospel in the Bible. Notice what he said. I delivered to you, first of all, that which I received. Remember what we said earlier? The gospel is received. Paul said, I didn't invent it. There wasn't a group of us got together and said, man, let's come up with a gospel. When a group of us got together and said, let's come up with a religious system. Let's invent this new thing. Since Jesus was here, let's create this revelation. No, Paul said, listen, I divinely received the gospel from God that I gave to you. Paul said, I got it by divine revelation. In fact, he says it just as clearly to the church in Galatia. Listen to this, Galatians 1, 11 and 12. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now you can read the story. Paul said, I knew a man one time who was lifted up. Well, the man's him. Okay, he's just being polite. He's just, he said, I knew a man one time who was snatched up to the third heaven. I mean, God took him up in a vision and showed him all this stuff. In fact, God showed Paul so much stuff, he couldn't even write it all down. God said, I don't want you to write all that. I just want you to write this. And so Paul did. There were things he wasn't even allowed to talk about. Paul said, listen, I didn't invent this gospel. Now, why is that important? He said, boy, this is, boy, this is theology 101. It is. But why is it important? Number one, the fact that the gospel is divinely received separates it from every other religion in the world. There's no other religion in the world that was received from God to man but the gospel of Jesus Christ, which makes Christianity different from every other religion in the world. Now, I've had people say to me, when, you, when you're a, a pastor and you run in some of those circles, you, got, you run into people who don't like Christianity. And since you're a pastor, they want to tell you they don't like Christianity. And I've had people say to me, well, you Christians, you're just so exclusive you just exclude everybody else. I said, man, you got a wrong view of the gospel. The gospel's inclusive. It's, a, it's the most inclusive thing in the world. In fact, God said, whosoever will can come. Amen. So you can come. I said, now, if, you, if you're saying exclusive in that it's unique and the only one, you're spot on, man. I said, there is no other way to get to heaven but in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. What about that don't you understand? Jesus said that. I said, now listen, if you reject Jesus, then you reject everything that matters in life. If you reject Jesus, you reject the only way. I said, but Christianity is exclusive. Paul said right here, I received this from God. There's no other religion in the world that can claim that. No other religion. Listen, I, I, I told you this before, early in my, in my school, and I took a world religions class. I don't necessarily recommend that. It was interesting. Uh, but I had this professor who said, no proselytizing allowed in this class. Yeah, you wait till he reads my papers, man. 
Because he wanted to talk about all these religions, you know, and all of them. He, and in class, he wanted to talk about them all as equal. Man, I hammered. Every time we talked about something that wasn't Christianity, I just hammered that baby with the Bible. Man, I just tore it up. He didn't like my papers. I, matter of fact, I think I got a B in that class. But that was the best B I ever got, man. Because I just, listen, Paul said, I got this from God. And there's no other, I studied them, there's no other religion in the world. No other dominant religion in the world can say that. You know why? Because every other religion in the world is created by man. And the gods of those religions are man-like. There ain't nothing like Jehovah God on this planet. Ain't nobody like Jesus. So Christianity is unique. Paul said, I received it. Uh, I received it from him. Now the next thing he says here, he said, Jesus died for our sins. Now, for us who routinely read the Bible, we're like, just amen. But no, get what Paul's saying right here. He says, not only is Christianity received from God, but it's the only religion in the world where there's vicarious suffering involved. There's no other religion like that. Every other religion in the world is, is some form of works religion. In other words, there's always something mixed in with any kind of faith or belief system where you have to do something. I am so thankful God didn't say, you got to do this, this, and this to be saved, because I would mess it up. And so would you. So, so what Paul's saying is, listen, Jesus died for our sins. He, he, he specifically points out the vicarious suffering of Jesus Christ as our substitute on the cross. Meaning the only way, and there is no other way, for a human being to be forgiven of their sin is by faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because he died in our place on the cross. He bore our sin. He bore the wrath of the Father against us. The reason we don't have to die and go to hell for our sin is because Jesus already paid for them. And when we trust him by faith, we are in Jesus and the Father sees us as righteous in his Son. Man, that's as perfect as it gets. That's as plain as it gets. And that's as simple as it gets. Now, the point is this, if you're watching online or here, you either receive that or you reject it. There's no middle ground. You either believe it or you don't believe it. And if you reject it, you do it to your own eternal doom. Because Jesus died for you on the cross. He died for you so that you can be saved. Now, if you reject that gift and you don't receive it, that's all on you. That's not God's fault. The people who die and spend eternity in the lake of fire, they can't blame God for that. Because he did everything that's needed to save them. And they just wouldn't receive it. So Paul said there's just vicarious suffering. That's another thing that separates Christianity from every other religion in the world. No other religion in the world is there a God who died for the people. No, in every other religion in the world, it's us trying to appease whatever that deity is so that we can get in, so that we can appease enough to him, not, him or her, some female deities, would allow us to get into paradise, Valhalla, or whatever you call it, okay? Isn't it interesting, by the way, we do a religions class here, that man, in creating all of his religions, create all these different versions of what God said in different ways to get there. Isn't that crazy? Boy, I could say some stuff about our society today, but I'll get, I don't want to get in trouble. I won't do it. Listen, it's funny that when man, I'll, I'll say it this way, it's funny that when man decides to mess with God, what God made, and I mean in every area, including sexuality, that we create our own versions of what God made. Isn't that foolishness? Because what we do is we take what God made to be right and perfect, 
and we mess it all up trying to make it our way. We do it with religion. We do it with everything else. And Satan is the mastermind behind that. But in any case, Paul said this. He said, God died for you. He died for our sins. Now, here's the resurrection part. He said, when he died, he was buried. Now you think, well, that's a, that's a simple statement. Yeah, you bury people who are dead. Okay, You put them in a tomb. There are theories out there, those who attack the Bible and those who attack Scripture. There are swoon theories and all these theories that Jesus didn't really die on the cross. He passed out and that the coolness of the tomb woke him up. That's hogwash, okay? That's nothing. Listen, Roman soldiers were masters at killing people. And when the Roman soldier said he was dead, guess what? He is dead. Jesus, in fact, if you read the, the utterances from the cross, Jesus dismissed his spirit. He said, it's finished. And the Bible says he dismissed his spirit. I suggest to you this, and I got, I got into a discussion with a professor one day about this. I'll tell you that later. I will suggest to you this. Jesus died like no other human being on the planet has ever died. What did Jesus say about his death? Nobody takes my life. I lay it down. And I give it. And he said, oh, by the way, I'll take it up again. Now, that's good, because nobody else can do that. So when Jesus died on the cross, he dismissed his spirit. He chose when he was going to die. Yes, they stuck him in the side with a spear. Yes, he's dying on the cross. Yes, he's hanging up there. He suffered our agony. He suffered our pain. But Jesus died a literal, physical death. His body died. And they put him in a tomb. They buried him. They put him in a tomb. Not only did they put him in a tomb, but you'll find out on Easter Sunday morning, the, the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders were so afraid somebody was going to steal the body of Jesus that they put a Roman guard out there and sealed it with a Roman seal. Funny, the angel didn't care nothing about that, did he? The angel came down and opened up that thing, scared the guards half to death. They all passed out. And I'm sure they didn't want to tell their buddies that. Look, when they woke up, they said, nobody's telling nobody what happened here, right? One time, anybody, we passed out from fear. Listen, the grave couldn't hold Jesus in there, which is the next thing Paul said. He was resurrected, what? According to the scriptures. Resurrected just as the Bible said he would be. Just as the Old Testament pointed to everything that Jesus said. Do you realize that the resurrection, the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ validates everything he ever said about himself. Validates everything the Bible ever said about him in the resurrection. Nobody else in the history of humanity has ever come out of the grave like Jesus. Amen. Now God raised people from the dead, but they were raised back into a human body and they had to die again. Boy, that's a whole other discussion, isn't it? Well, how would you like to be in heaven and I don't know how this happens. I'm just, I'm just don't know how it happens. Maybe, maybe Gabriel's the messenger angel. He's got the, the unfortunate chore to go over to Lazarus and go, hey, having a good time here? Man, it's the best. <laughs> well, I got news for you. Uh, Jesus is calling you back. Oh, no. Mm -mm. Man, pick somebody else. I ain't leaving here. No, Jesus is going to call you out of the tomb, and you got to go back. I don't know how that goes, but it goes something like that. Because ladders are already in heaven, right? And all the people that were raised from the dead, they were raised back in their earthly bodies. But Jesus is different. He came out of that tomb in a resurrection body.
He came out of that tomb, not back in that same mortal body, but one like it, but, but perfected. The one, and listen, the one in heaven, Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father, he's in that body. The nail prints in his hands and his feet. Boy, for all of eternity, that's going to be a reminder to us, isn't it? Every time we look at Jesus, what he did for us. So he's sitting there in that body. That's the kind of body we're going to get one day. So the resurrection is, is fact. It's history. In fact, let me tell you real quick. In the Old Testament, two, two examples, and I won't take time to read the passages. <clears throat> Isaac, Abraham, Abraham's son. Remember what God told Isaac? He said, go, go take your son and sacrifice him. Now, again, I, I mean, I've preached that passage before. That's a hard passage. I mean, I, now we know after the fact, okay, that God was going to spare Isaac, and, and we know the whole deal, right? Man, I just, I just, boy, being Abraham and walking with that boy and the firewood and the knife and, and headed out there, and, and Isaac even asking his daddy, Daddy, well, we got the wood and we got the knife and we got the fire. Where's the sacrifice? God will provide a sacrifice, son. Just come on. I mean, what faith? I mean, what faith? And then, and then the Bible says in Hebrews 11 that Abraham was willing to sacrifice Isaac because he knew God had promised him that even if he had to raise him from the dead, God would do it, and he received him back as in raised from the dead because God spared him and gave him a, a lamb or ram in the thicket. And then Jonah, what did Jesus say? Boy, just like Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, so, I, so the Son of Man is going to be in the, in the earth for three days. And the psalmist said, look, the psalmist said God would not allow his beloved to see corruption. In other words, he wouldn't stay in the grave. So what I'm telling you is the Old Testament prophesied and pointed to this resurrection of Jesus Christ, and it happened just as God said. Now let me read, let me read the last part of this. Look at verses 5 to 11. Here is really uh, the, the pinnacle of the argument. There were eyewitnesses. If you want to validate something in a court of law, what do you do? You call in the witnesses. Notice what he said. And that he was seen, Jesus, the resurrected Lord, was seen by Peter, then by the twelve. And after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, Paul said, as by one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Well, we want to mark that in your Bible. I don't have time. That's a good statement. I'm not what I ought to be, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, right? Okay, and his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, we, listen, so we preached and so you believed. Let me tell you what Paul said. And if you got any questions about the resurrection in your, in your Greek friends and the philosophy that's being taught in your church, consider this. Consider the people that saw Jesus in his resurrection body when he came out of the grave. Jesus was resurrected, and he appeared to people for 40 days before he sent him back to heaven. The first one he appeared to was Peter. Why do you think he did that? Peter's the one who denied him. Denied he was arrested. And Peter's heart was broken over his sin. Peter went out and wept. And what did Jesus do with great grace and mercy? He restored Peter, put him right back on his feet. Remember that thing? You stand on the gospel. You can fail, you can fall, but if you're really in Jesus, he'll put you right back on the rock. So Peter was restored and became a great instrument for the gospel. And then he, then he saw the 12, the first Sunday night of that resurrection. They appeared in the upper room, Jesus did, remember? And everybody was there except Thomas. Well, wait till we get to heaven. I want to talk to Thomas. 
Man, you didn't believe anything, did you? They told Thomas, man, we saw Jesus. Remember what Thomas said? Uh, I ain't believing that until I touch the nail prince's hand and put, you know, see his scars and touch his side. The next Sunday night, Thomas decided to come to church. And Jesus showed up again. You remember Jesus looked at Thomas and said, come here. Boy, don't you know Thomas head down all over there? Put your hand right here, Thomas. See, I'm real. He said, my Lord, my God. And then Jesus said something important to Thomas. He said, you see me and you believed. Good for you. More blessed are those who haven't seen me and they believe. That's us. Because we ain't seen him yet. Okay? But we believe, right? So he saw the apostles then 500 at once. Now you can get a group of people together and get them to say the same thing. Not 500 of them. I could say something over here to Ron and tell him to start passing around the room. By the time I got over here, it would be completely different from what I said. Why? Because people can't, you can't agree on anything. So 500 people, really, trust me, try church. You can't agree on anything except Jesus. Listen, 500 people at one time, they all saw Jesus. And then, and then his, his, the 12 again, and then his brother, half-brother James. That's an interesting thing, too. We're, we're running out of time, but think about this. The siblings of Jesus in the home, the half-brothers the half and sisters. How'd you like to grow up with Jesus being your brother? Anytime somebody got in trouble, you know it wasn't him. I mean, you know, I mean, it wasn't him. So it was you. It's one of you, right? Well, the, Bible's, the, Bible, the Bible indicates they didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah until after his resurrection. That they didn't, they didn't understand. But when Jesus came out of the grave and they saw him, J James became a believer. And so did his family. Now, Mary knew from the beginning, but not, not the other children. And then finally, Paul said, then there's me. And he left himself to last, and he felt the least worthy. He said, I was one out of time. Why? Because he said, I was a persecutor of the church, and I didn't even get saved till on the road to Damascus, and I saw Jesus, and he said, I'm not even worthy to be an apostle because of what I've done. Ever feel that way? Man, I'm not even worthy to be, to be a child of God because of what I've done? But Paul said, but I am what I am by what? The grace of God. So are we, right? And then Paul said, he said, man, I wasn't worthy, but I made it up because he said, I worked harder than all of them. He said, man, I'm, I'm, I'm out here. He said, I'm out here. And then he said to those Corinthians at the end, he said, so whether it's me or one of them preaching to you the gospel, that's what you believed. Now, here's the point with the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is, is the cornerstone of our, of our Christian faith. It's, it's part, his death, substitutionary death, his burial and his resurrection there is no Christianity without that truth, without Jesus dying for us, buried and rosy in the third day. You take that away, or you water it down, or you diminish it, you do great damage to the gospel. And that's what Paul reminded them of. He said, don't, worry, don't listen to them false teachers. You know where you stand. He said, so stand on that. And I say the same to you today. Now, if you're watching online, or you're here, and you're not sure that you're saved, you're not sure that when you die, you're going to heaven. Listen, we have people get saved here this week. We're going to do baptism next Sunday, next, probably next Sunday morning and Sunday night. People are getting saved. They're hearing the gospel. They're getting saved. Maybe you need to get saved. Maybe you're not sure you're going to heaven. Well, listen, don't, don't die and meet Jesus and think you're getting to heaven over some religious exercise. No, it is personal, saving faith in Jesus Christ that will save you. If you need that this morning, would you do it? Would you pray and ask Jesus to save you? Let's pray together.
God, thank you for this great passage, this passage about the gospel and about where we stand and, Lord, how we were saved. Lord, for those that are here this morning and those that are the hearing of your word online that are saved, God, may their hearts uh, rejoice and be encouraged today. Lord, maybe there's someone who's under the hearing of this passage and they're discouraged and, Lord, they just need to be reminded that they stand on the rock in Jesus Christ. But, Lord, maybe there's somebody who's under the hearing of your word and they've never trusted Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. God, right now they can. Right now in this moment, with their head bowed and, uh, Lord, thinking and praying to you, God, they can say, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry for my sin and, Lord, I want to be saved. God, I, I believe Jesus died on that cross. My substitute paid for my sin, rose again the third day. And so, Lord, by all the faith I have, save me, forgive me, come into my heart, be my Lord. God, you'll save anybody who will ask. Bless this time of invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. As we sing, if God's touching your heart and you need to talk to somebody, you come on the first verse. We'll be glad to help you. The Savior is waiting to today tonight we have Awana. uh tonight we're going to be back in our study on in joseph joseph got married became prime minister of egypt and uh we're going to talk about all that uh tonight is something else business meeting tonight yes i was going to mention that good right after service tonight we're going to have our our quarterly business meeting give you a financial statement so you can look at all that um uh, see if you have any questions uh yeah, we're going to do that tonight right after church. So hope you'll come back and be with us. Anything else? Let's pray. God, give us a good morning as we travel home, Lord. Bless these that have come to the early service. God, if there's somebody who's been under the hearing of your word this morning, Lord, and they need to be saved, God, I pray you would stir them up, Lord. Let them come and ask and give us the opportunity to share the truth with them, Lord, and help them to understand. Bless us now through the day. In Jesus' name, amen.